0: Episode 78 of Fitness Behaviour of Bevan James Isles. What happened in your childhood? Radio team, welcome along to episode 78 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James I was your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that go alongside it. Well, welcome along to today's show, episode 78, is it? Wow, I've been doing this for a while, I was figuring out the other day that I've actually been doing this podcast for six years, nearly, nearly seven years, six, seven years, so it's been going for a while, which is pretty cool. Now, one thing I did this week, which... Uh, which is interesting. I, I've done the podcast. I've been podcasted for over ten years now with I Am Talk and Legends of Triathlon and, and Fitness Behaviour. I used to do a podcast years ago with a guy called Ish called Fitness Forever, uh, which was was pretty successful as well. But um, so I've been doing podcasting for a while, and I've never really thought about getting into video podcasting. It's just something I don't know. Just hadn't really thought about. And uh, recently, I was up in Auckland, and one of my very good friends and 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 I need to get her on the show, to be honest, a lady called Lisa Osborne. Now, if you're in the Les Mills world, you'll know Lisa Osborne. but for those of you outside of Les Mills world, you won't know much of her, but in the fitness industry, she is a superstar. Seriously, she is a super, super superstar. A very phenomenal career in fitness. Actually, when I was in Auckland a couple of weeks ago, I was going to try to do an interview with her, but just we're so busy, so I might try to get her on in the next few weeks. But uh, Lisa is... um, the, one of the most well-known fitness instructors in the world by a country mile. Uh, her attitude to life is amazing. She was a world aerobics champion. Now, you, anyone who gets to the world championship level in, in any sport, to me, is a phenomenal athlete. And she did that when she was younger, but in recent times she's become obsessed with CrossFit. And uh, they got the CrossFit Games happening right now. And I know for those who are in the CrossFit world, this is quite an important time of the year for the CrossFitters. And Lisa um, is into CrossFit, and I think in the in the first round of CrossFit, because I think they have the first round, then they have regionals in the worlds. and in the first round, she, her score was the second best in the world for her age group. So it's kind of showing the kind of person she is. She's someone who spent her life being a legendary athlete, but also helping thousands and thousands of instructors become great instructors. And probably more importantly, and and this is where I feel lucky, is that Lisa's a good friend of mine and and her attitude is the most special thing about Lisa. She's just someone who has a can-do attitude to life. So um, I will get her on the show because I think you'll love hearing from from Lisa. But while I was up in Auckland, we made these videos uh, of just our work that we were doing. And and we made this one silly video. If you're a Facebook friend of mine, check it out. We made a video of uh, two of the other guys I was working with and myself going on one of those... Bungee rockets, which is these big adventure kind of extreme movement things, and I think I got over thirty thousand views, and I thought, wow, this this video thing is actually quite impressive. So I made a video the other day on comparison, and if you haven't checked it out, it, it got like twelve thousand views in one day, which kind of blew my mind away. Um, which is similar to the size of this audience, but this audience has been building for years. So you know, to get that kind of viewership just from one day it kind of blew my mind away and um, so if you want to check it out you can go to my website bevanjamesis.com and I've got it on my front page there or if you're a Facebook friend of mine you can go there now one thing with my Facebook page is it's silly because I can only accept 5,000 friends which I would accept everyone if I could but you can follow me so if you want to follow my page I have got an, a, a, an athlete page which I also put everything on as well so you can do that but I put this clip on about comparison, and I'm not going to go do too much detail into it now, because I have done a show on comparison a long time ago in this podcast. But within this clip, I show this interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, and it's just so powerful. Uh, and, and I'm not going to go, again, I don't, I, most of you have probably already seen this video, or if you haven't, you can go to my website, but if you haven't seen it, go check it out, because it's just very raw honest moment from Jamie Lee Curtis that that kind of just really touched me and and I think had a massive impact on the people who watched the video and it's probably why it had over 12,000 views in like in one day so um, if you want to check that out do that but what I am going to be doing is doing a lot more video work because I've actually realized you know obviously people want to see videos and it's different to this podcasting audio wise is long form you know people tend to like shows that are longer and i try to keep the show somewhere between 40 to 60 minutes long Uh, whereas video it's short form you want to be no longer than eight minutes kind of six to eight minutes is where you really want to be, and there's a video person I really love, a guy called Nerd Writer. It's a podcast or video on YouTube. He puts a show up once a week, and I really like it. And I actually support his Patreon because I think he's kind of does great work. And uh, so I'm going to be doing those. So I'll do this podcast once every two weeks, and then I'm going to do a video, I don't know, clip, a video clip, and I've called it Fitness for the Fitness Fitness Thoughts with Bevan James Isles. So I'm going to do that alternate week. So one week will be the audio podcast and next week will be the video podcast. So if you want to check those out, one thing you can do is you can go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com, and I'll have, um, you can just sign up for my emails from there, and I'll just send it out every time I do those. Anyway, getting on to the show. I got a lot of feedback about that interview from last couple of weeks ago with David Galbraith. Um, a massive amount of feedback. He seemed to hit a note with so many people. And it was really interesting hearing from... Um, some of my athletic friends saying how they got so much out of the interview, but also some people who, you know, struggle with exercise and just saying they got so much value from his interview. So if you haven't checked out that interview, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. Um, David was a really cool guy, and uh, he was a bit of a character, you know, he was just free to be himself, and I, his laughter was something that kind of captured how free he was. He was someone who was just quite happy to laugh at himself, and uh, obviously a very insightful soul as well, so we're we'll going to check that out. This week's show is your typical Bevan show. Um, I've got a couple interesting things I want to share with you guys. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what you guys think about that. But before I get into this week's show, I just want to thank the patrons of the show. It's actually, actually before I even name some names, and uh, I've got some patrons who support the show, and I re- they really mean a lot to me because it's important. Uh, you know, m- m- me being supported, but it was really interesting. Uh, why is this patron thing really cool? One thing that uh, one thing that we find in-, in fitness is fitness is is a tough industry to make a living in and one of the things I find that I've always tried to stay true to and it's really important to me and I'll never compromise it is this whole idea of what am I trying to sell with my influence. It's a really interesting question. What am I trying to sell with my influence? And it's a question that I I sometimes struggle with when you see people in the fitness industry who, and I, I might get some hard time about this, but who, who you see them end up becoming more about selling supplements than helping people grow through movement. Now, definitely um, arguments around supplements, you know, we could open a big door here that I don't really want to get into today, but In some ways, you see people who basically, you know, maybe struggling with money, and and the way that they think they make make it financially is to become, you know, a seller of supplements in the industry. And for me, you've kind of lost the point when that's how you're gonna. That's what you're selling. To me, that's you know, for me as a fitness professional now, I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair on those people there, but for me, what I've always wanted to be is someone who helps people move and helps people grow through exercise, and everything that I've ever done has come from that place, that I want people to love movement, and I want people to, to grow as people through exercise, and, and I'm sure by listening to this show, you've understood that, and everything I do, it comes from that, and I always think of what's the foundation of what I'm trying to, to, to sell to the world, you know, what's what's the thing when people buy into me, do they get, and for me, that's that's it. Do I help you move? Are you moving? And, and can, can I help you move more and have exercise in your life in a way that helps you grow and become a better person? Now, the irony is, if I wanted to make lots of money, I'd be doing some network marketing thing because I can sell. Don't worry about that, team. I know how to sell. I'd be some network marketing thing, and I'd be telling you about why all these products are great and stuff. But that's not why I'm in fitness. I'm in fitness to help people love movement, to experience life more with that movement, and to grow through exercise. And the people who are patrons of the show support me in that and allow me to spend more of my time doing that. And so if you are a patron of the show, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, you go to bevanjamesiles.com. It's all pretty clear on the website. But um, I just think it's important to acknowledge that I think when you choose a fitness professional, ask yourself, what are they selling me? What is this person trying to send me? What's their philosophy? What do, what's the foundation they sit underneath? And once you can understand that, you it's a much clearer and better way to make a decision around who I choose to be an influence on my path moving forward. So, oh yeah, again, okay, no, yeah. Anyway, some of, my, some of my patrons. Holly Woodhouse, she's a go-getter. And I'm actually going to try get Holly on the show. I've talked to her a little bit about this, but Holly, I need to sort out a time because I need to get you on. She's the one who did the magazine, which is the really good magazine called... Say Yes to Adventure. I've got it right here beside me. So that's how I knew how to do that. I've also got Sue Chisel. Sue is The Only Way Is Up. I've got Denise Dana and it's Ab Fab. I've got Nathan Nathan, I'm not sure of your last name, Nathan, but you're the Hurricane. Um, Mary Jane, I'm gonna say Mariko, Mary Jane the Magic, and I've also got a new patron this week, and her name is Sarah Hill. Now when you think of heel, obviously you could think of the heel of the shoe, which I didn't. I thought of the healing hands. But then I thought healing hands. Uh, Well, maybe you like the one, Sarah, maybe you do. But I've gone with kind of healing hands comes from someone who's kind of wise. So, Sarah, you are the oracle. You know that? Sarah, the oracle healer. So there we go. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com and all the information is there. You go on and basically what I'm going to do with my patronage is every time I release a version of Fitness Behaviour, you just will contribute whatever you want to contribute to the show. So thank you Sarah for becoming a patron and thank you for, I've got 38 patrons now, so thank you to all those 38 who support the show. Anyway, I'm going to get into this episode, Uh, hopefully some stuff that you enjoy in here. Here we go. One thing I've always found really interesting is how the perception of myself as a child influences the rest of my life. Uh, and, I, and it's a really good example. And to be honest, I may have talked about this on the podcast a while ago, but I think I'm going to, this is going somewhere. So so go with me, team. So um, a good example I think of this is, is the, the overweight kid when you're younger. Now, admittedly, I was I was brought up in a time. I'm nearly forty. Well, I'm thirty-eight, nearly thirty-nine. I was brought up in a time where there weren't that many overweight kids around, so the kind of the overweight kid kind of stood out. And in my year at at school, I'm thinking my high school years, there were probably a couple overweight kids. Um, now, nowadays, you know, with with what's happening with obesity in the world, I imagine there's probably a lot more overweight kids and. Uh, I'm not really sure of the ramifications of what that means socially and all the rest of it. But I'm sure, you know, going back to just speaking from my own experience here today. So from, you know, my teenage years and even younger, there was kind of a couple, not many overweight kids in in my year. And I find it really interesting, this whole idea of, of your identity, of seeing myself as an overweight person and thinking about how as an overweight person, how does it shape me in the way I act in the world? So that whole idea of my identity is this thing of being overweight. And then how does it influence the way I live my life? And and one thing I, I'm really big on is, is how do I shift my identity? Um, which is kind of going off where I want to go with this today. But this whole idea of, you know, I, I think I even talked about this last time with David. This whole idea of once I get my runners to see they're a runner, then they're going to hold on to that identity. Actually, I was thinking about this last night. I'm, I'm going all over the place right now, guys, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. I was thinking about this last night. I'm reading a book on economics, and they talk about loss aversion, how one of the, the things that we have is that we're more afraid of losing something than what we are of gaining something. And so they talk about investment loss, and and uh, my mother, she'll probably give you a hard time for lending but my mother's a really good example of this. My mother was around 1987, and in 1987, uh, the market crashed big time. You know, the the, the, the big crash of '87 in the real in the um, share market. And my mother was around now. Mildly, my mother didn't lose anything in that share market. She was quite young, and they were just getting ahead in life, but she had some people around who lost a lot of money. And uh, and for that reason, my mother's never really trusted investing in certain forms, now she, yeah, I've got forms, I don't want to go into my parents' finances too much, but in certain forms, she's never trusted investing, and for that reason, she, she does types of investments that are very safe, but almost too safe, because the return's actually kind of pointless, um, but she's so fearful of losing the money that she's not, she takes unwise decisions around where she could make investment decisions, because there's that loss, I don't want to lose this money, so I'm going to make the safest bet possible, which means I get a really poor return. Now, as investors, we do need to think about, well, what's the amount of risk I want to take, and what's the fair amount that, that I should take based on the risk, or, or the return that I should aim for, at least. Um, and so that's kind of the idea of loss aversion. My mother is so fearful of losing any investment money, that she makes investments that basically means she gets kind of no return. Now when we think about identity, and that's where I go back, and now I'm putting two and two together here, but when we think about identity, once we have an identity, I wonder if loss aversion is something that happens there. You know, I, I, while I did a the show, uh, the whole idea of why is it that um, overweight people don't get more overweight, and this whole idea of, you know, why is it that I have this, I seem to be able to manage my weight really well, someone who seems to be fit and healthy, And I think that in some ways it's because I have this identity of who I am as a person. And when I start to stretch that in ways that are pushing me away from that, maybe loss aversion is the thing that makes me sharpen up. I'm not sure. I'm just kind of... I was having these thoughts last night as I was reading this book. And so, you know, as you think about the identity you sit in right now, is is it that you want to maintain the identity because the idea of losing that makes you at least maintain this level? So... Hopefully that makes sense. Now we're going to take a step back. So going back to this idea of um, the person who sees himself as overweight as a kid. And then they grow up and they're an overweight adult. Now the interesting thing, and I'm thinking back to some of the people who were overweight when I was at school. And when I go back and look at them, they weren't that big. Now, some of them nowadays are actually, you know, quite overweight. But if I look back on the photos of us at that time, they weren't, they weren't as, as big as what they are now. If anything, in today's standards, some of these people would only be considered slightly overweight in comparison to what we see and what's happening in society right now. So as kids, these people were overweight in comparison to the norm. But they weren't actually massively overweight. But their self-image or their self-identity through that time labelled them as overweight. And what's the flow-on effect of that? Well, the flow-on effect of that is that because I see myself as overweight, there's a certain kind of behaviours that I'll hold on to moving forward to in my life. Because I'm overweight, I do this. Because I'm overweight, I do this. Because, If we look at behaviours, you could say, because I'm overweight... I see myself as someone who gives in when the f- food decisions happen. For a lot of people, it's I, I have behaviours that are about disguising the fact I'm overweight. It might be that I'm I'm funny about my weight because it's a way that people won't bring it up. So there's kind of these behaviours that come with this label of me being overweight. Now it's really interesting when you think back to this whole idea of them being a kid and um, this identity that they got as a kid and how that can very much influence the way I'm going to live my life leading forward and for me as a kid I was a sporty kid so my identity was I'm a sporty kid and my life has very much stayed on that trajectory when you think of yourself as a kid what were the labels or the identity that you gave yourself or that the world gave you it's it's is that still a big part of your life right now has it influenced your behaviors the other day i was at the gym and i had this really interesting experience i was behind reception and i was talking i'm, I'm a, i am love talking to people so i'll teach my class and then i'll go talk behind reception with the reception girls they are all girls so that's why i can say that but um oh no there's one boy jake i talked to jake as well uh, but i go talk to a reception crew behind and and i love just gossiping and you know just having a laugh basically and uh while i was talking i was talking to two girls and one of the girls is a girl who I don't actually know that well. I, I kind of she may have, she, she doesn't tend to be working when I'm working, uh, so I know how to say hello to her, but I haven't had that many conversations with her. And and as I'm talking to her, I'm literally thinking this. I'm literally thinking she's a very smiley person, and uh, and just got a really nice energy. and I remember just thinking, wow, what an attractive person this this girl is. She's just. Um, I know. I just I, I I like attractive people, and attractive people to me are about an energy, or about a, a space that they sit in, and, and that type of thing, and um, and even looks wise. I, I wasn't really looking at looks wise. I was more thinking of the personality here. But even looks wise, she's she's an attractive girl. And I, mean, I remember, I literally just thought that, and then we started talking about. I can't remember exactly how the conversation shifted, but she said, "I'm." I'm not sure if she said the word ugly, but she basically implied that she was not attractive. And it was really interesting that that was the thing that was hit. And, and the moment, almost the moment after I thought to myself, oh, what an attractive person this is, the, within the next few moments, she told myself and the other person we were talking to that she was not attractive. Now, she wasn't doing it, and you know sometimes when people, when you get that person who's maybe being needy because they want the positive affirmation, so like, oh, I'm bad at this, because you want everyone around you to say, well, oh, no, no, you're really, really good at this. Well, it wasn't that kind of thing. It wasn't that she was needing us to affirm her and to tell her that she was attractive. It wasn't that she was seeking it. It was just that I see myself as not attractive. And she kind of continued on to talk about when she was younger, she told us that the reason she says herself is not as attractive is that when she was a kid, certain kids told her she was not attractive. So as a child, other kids around her told her that she was not attractive. And, and I, from my recalling of the conversation, there were a couple key moments in her life that really defined to her that she was not attractive and that these people had told her this I, I should not really give maybe she gave detail I can't really remember but you know there was these defining moments there was a couple of defining moments where people said this about her I find this really interesting I find this moment really fascinating because as a child now I think she said one of them was when she was really younger and never was when she was maybe like 11 or 12 or something like that so as a child her external world a couple other children around her said a statement about her which was obviously horrible to hear because no one wants to be called not attractive or ugly or whatever the words were and in that moment she identified as someone who's not attractive. From those interactions the way she looked at herself was in that light. So much so that to this day, now I'm not sure of this girl's age, but she's mid-twenties, early-twenties, something like that. To this age, she holds this, this label, this identification that she's not an attractive person. The irony is, is that, as before she told me that, I actually was thinking to myself she's an attractive person, and, and she is. But within herself, she identifies as someone who's not attractive. Now, when we think of the implication of those few moments in her life where her external world told her this was the case, I wonder what behaviours shifted in her life because she held those thoughts in place. It's kind of like me going back to this idea of the kid, um, the child, in uh, the overweight child. You know that when I look back on those photos, those those kids aren't that overweight. But what they got from that time was that label that I'm overweight. And with the label of me being overweight, what were those behaviors that came on from that place? And if we think about this girl I'm talking about here, I wonder what changed in her life because of those things. Like, how would her life be different if she hadn't held on to this, or if she'd never got that belief that she wasn't an attractive person? Like, what would be different? I wonder, like, I don't know. I'd be really curious. Maybe, I haven't actually talked to her about this, but maybe I'll have a discussion with her about this, because I find this really interesting. How would her life be different if she hadn't had those labels that I'm not attractive? Now, in some ways it may be really positive, because she may think to herself, well, I can't rely on my attractiveness to get me here, so I have to work hard, so there's probably some really good character traits that came from that. But then I imagine there's also some really some ones that have held her back as well, that maybe I shouldn't put myself forward for this opportunity because I'm not attractive or, or, you know, I won't go for a partner because I'm not attractive or, you know, I'm not quite sure, but you get what I'm meaning is that this is cost. Well, let's take a step back again now. So let's, let's look at these situations. As a child, my world influenced me to, to gain an identity that has affected the rest of my life moving forward. And the effects of that identity can be massive, either negative or positive, often negative. But if we go back to these situations as an adult, and we look back on the child in that moment, how can we see it in a different light? Like, I'd love to... (laughs) time machine would be really good right now like if i could grab that girl from reheim reception and put her in a time machine and take her back to those moments where that identity got planted in her see in her head and, I, and and i could literally take her back and watch that moment again and from ex- outside of herself and see what was really happening could we remove or listen, or start to move away from that, that identity that was instilled in me in that time. So let's, I know, I know this is out there, team, I know, I'm putting it out there, but let's just say, I, I invented a time machine, it's called the Bevan James Iles time machine, and it's an amazing time machine, because I can go to any time in history in the past, and what I can do is, I can also, kind of like Back to the Future, where Marty was watching himself from Back to the Future 2, trying to punch that guy in the car, if you've seen Back to the Future, you know what I'm talking about, but... You know, and So I can actually watch myself in the past or watch the people who are with me in the past. And if I were to go back with this girl and go back to her past and say, let's watch these situations where those kids are being mean to you and saying horrible things about your looks and go into it with trying to understand what was really happening in that moment, that our job is to get a perspective that's a wider perspective of what's really happening. So again, I'm my imaginary time machine with me and Marty McFly. I wish I had a DeLorean. I always wanted a DeLorean. I'm not going to be one of those guys who would ever buy one, but the DeLoreans store are pretty cool. But I get in my DeLorean. I hit that 87 87 miles. I think it was 87, and uh, and I take her back. And we and we stand in that third person perspective and we watch what's really happening there. And and we might be able to see that first of all that she's quite a cute kid. That 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 was unrealistic around. The, the label we might be able to see the reason why the other kids are saying that 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 they're they're afraid and their way to be socially accepted is to pick on somebody that they see as a weaker link and that being ugly is is an easy term because it's so broad like what does it mean we can might see how they interact with other people we can maybe follow those kids around and see how they are with other people and to see that this is something that they didn't just do with me, that they did with other people. Or could even follow those kids and see if maybe they had other things that they needed to work on within themselves. Like it's often the critical person is the person, you know, when we're critical of others, it's often not the other's problem. It's, it's, it's our own faults. And I wonder if I was able to get this person to sit beside me and just watch that moment again. If they could see it from a different perspective, would they be allowed to see that actually the identification they gained from those moments weren't necessarily true? That in seeing that, that the real, what was really happening, that to see, to be more forgiving of yourself, the situation, maybe even of those, those who scarred you with those, that identification, To see that as as the adult you are now, that maybe you can be forgiving or you can start to let go of that identification that maybe has held you back. Now, in some ways, you know, the kind of the ugly one's an interesting one, isn't it? Because to say, you know, I'm not attractive, that's kind of anything. But I imagine a few of you thinking, but yeah, but what about the overweight person? Like, as much as I look back on that photo and I think to myself, well, they're not that much overweight, but, you know, they still were overweight in comparison to the other groups. But maybe what we, if you're the overweight person looking back, you can maybe look and go, well, why was I overweight at that age? And maybe you'll look and you'll see that your parents weren't that great at setting boundaries for you. Maybe you'll see that food was used for, as a reward for behavior for you. And, and you kind of, if anything, you were smart because you figured out how to make the world work for you in a way that got the thing you wanted. Now, now all kids want food, and all kids want sweet food, let's be honest. I remember Jerry Seinfeld did that great piece around uh, sweets other kids drunk. So, so, maybe you'll be able to look back on those moments and actually see the reason behind the label. What was the purpose of, of of this kind of thinking? This idea of me, I suppose, if I'm trying to put a process in place right here, I'm, I'm I'm thinking that first of all, I want to identify the labels that have held me back in my life that were installed in me very early on. It can be that I'm an overweight person. It can be that I'm ugly. It can be that I'm thick. It can be that I'm I, I'm not musical. You know, there are these labels that tell me that I can't do something, and then to look back to those moments that that, that got implanted in you. When did this happen? And often in those areas that are really hurtful or really touch a nerve for me, there's some really clear moments that, that, that comes along. And then to think back to those moments and try to look at it with your wiser mind, your more experienced mind, and look at it with care at, at yourself at that age and try to understand why that happened with the purpose of allowing yourself to be more forgiving of yourself taking that label on at the time. For you to forgive that child who felt sensitive to being called ugly, but at the same time to understand what was the real reasoning behind me feeling this label. Like sometimes it wouldn't even be you. I I think with this girl it was more insecure kids, to be honest. I think with the overweight person it often is because it's often parenting, if I'm going to be honest, um, you know, it is often parenting, um, so there's, you know, so so once we've kind of done that, then the next point is to go, can I lessen the load of this label in my life, and in some ways, I, I kind of think doing this process allows you to lessen the load of this label, because you're shifting the way you look at that moment. Like when you think of that moment when someone's called me ugly, or not attractive, I'm not sure of the exact words, but in that moment, that's me experiencing it. Whereas I can look from the outside in and see what's really happening in a way that lessens me feeling those feelings. Then I can lessen the emotional attachment to that label. And then from there... Maybe what you can start to think about is, is what is a better label to put in place? What's a different perspective that I can have that I can move forward from in life where I'm no longer influenced by this label that I've held on to for so long and it's had this massive effect on my behavior? That's, that's, what, that's worth, work worth doing, isn't it? To identify my label, to figure out where it came from, to, to reflect back and see why that happened, to learn from that why. To be forgiving of that, but then to also diminish the power this label has on me, and then from there to to, to, to try to inject and you know obviously awareness is really important awareness when this label comes up when I look in the mirror and feel that I'm not attractive. Well, what's what's a different perspective that I need to put in place right there? A, a different perspective that allows me to move towards better actions. And that awareness around, you know, when is this label still influencing my life is a really important thing. And to put a strategy in place that allows me to think, okay, well, when I see myself feeling unattractive, I need to shift myself towards this thinking over here. And what is the type of thinking that's going to allow me to be more free to, to remove the scars of that label? It's really interesting stuff, this. I find it really interesting as you think about, you know, so much of the self is developed when we're a child, and a child knows bugger all. A child doesn't have the ability to fight, fight the ugly of the world. You know, You know, the, when I say the ugly of the world, the words that are hurtful. You know, as an adult, I, well, many of us have developed those skills, uh, but a child will believe things that aren't true, and then that can mould their life moving forward. Now think about yourself. Where are you restricted in your life and in your possibilities because of the scars of your childhood? Where is your identity saying that you can't be something, or that you are something that you don't like? If you could go back and look upon that time in your life where those seeds were planted inside yourself and to to have that kind of Marty McFly, back to the future perspective and to see it from a different perspective and try to understand why that happened, do you think you'd be more forgiving and maybe it would help you lessen the sense of identity you have? And then once you can see that, then to catch those moments where that identity pops up and holds me back, and to, to put in place a strategy that says, no, I'm, when I feel that I'm going to go down this path, I'm going to shift my perspective. And then by shifting my perspective, I lead to different behaviours that lead to a an outcome that's much better for my life. In some ways, I wonder if today's show is, is a bit weird. And Well, I think it is a bit weird, to be honest, and um, and... But I think there's something in there. I really do. I think there's something in there. I know for myself, I thought I was a bit thick. You know, I was a kid who was a really good, sporty kid. But when it came to academic, I was a bit thick. And, and my world told me I was thick. And so what I do, I, I, my, if you look at my behaviors, how I acted at school was all about disguising the fact that I thought I was thick. You know, everything about it, up until the moment where I realized I could grow. And I don't have that label now. I do see myself as someone who has intelligence and has knowledge because I think knowledge is just something you work on and you can gain. But until that moment where I understood that knowledge is something I could work on and gain, my world was very limited. My world was massively limited because a thick person can't grow. But in that moment where my identity shifted to being who who could be intelligent, the path that my life took in that moment was completely different because the possibilities of a world without that label led to a much different path do your work think about this put some time into to looking back like yeah i'm just i'm kind of just kind of going with this right now but i kind of think that you know what told me i was thick well basically i just couldn't spell I struggled with spelling, and to be honest, I could spell now, so there was something in the process of spelling that I couldn't do right, but because I couldn't spell, I didn't try at school, and because I didn't try, I got behind, and because I got behind, I was more of a failure, and all of that was telling me I was thick. Now, was I thick? No, actually, I was, I was actually really good at maths, I, I, I was okay at some other subjects, I definitely wasn't someone who should have failed school like I did. But just somewhere along the way, my process in spelling got hurt, and now I got labelled as thick. As I think of the little me back now, and I, I wish I could go back and just help him learn to spell a little bit better, you know, give him the support that he needed, and, uh, you know, help him identify that actually he was a kid who could be intelligent. Now, I'm not, I'm not sad about that. My life is what it is, but I do think it's a really important thing to see that the label I have, and, and luckily for me, I have removed that label of being thick. How your life will blossom. And ultimately, if I do that, you are got to be a much better version of yourself. Do the work, guys. Think about it. Alright, team, that's uh, this fortnight's episode, although I'll be doing my video clips next week, so I'll be looking out for those, I've got I'm a really cool one coming up, hopefully there's something in there, I, I do think there's something in there, I kind of think this one's a bit of a, it's like a mine, There's kind of stuff in there that you're kind of mine out of it, it's interesting at the end of that where I kind of just went into my own personal experience of me being seen as someone who's thick, like I really did, I really did, I, I was thick. Um, And and my world told me I was thick, and everything about my world reinforced that I was thick. And and actually, it was a simple thing of, I just struggled with spelling. But actually, uh, I could overcome spelling, because I have in my time. So somewhere along the line, in that moment, if I could go back in in my, you know, back to the future currency myself in that moment... And for me just to understand that actually you're not thick, you just need to work harder and and understand that if you work through this process of spelling, you will get there and you'll get better at spelling. But my identity of being thick told me, Why even bother? Why bother with anything to do with academia? And hence I failed. So, yeah, so, I, I know, there's some, yeah, and, and now, and then when that moment where I start to work on myself and, and I realized that intelligence is just something you grow, then that, that label disappeared, and now I look at the world in a way of I, I can gain more knowledge and more intelligence, so interesting stuff. Um, if you want to send me through an email, you can go to bevanjames at gmail.com. If you want to become a patron of the show, you go to bevanjamesisles.com. Again, I really appreciate the patrons, guys, you rock, it really means a lot to me. I haven't actually sorted out my next interview. I've got a couple people who I want to interview. I just need to contact them, but I will have an interview for you in a couple weeks. If you want to, uh, go to my website, Bevan James Isles, and you can sign up for my email, so you can get my video that I'm going to be doing every couple weeks. And just on that, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, and you want to share the videos, totally do it. Um, That's me. I'm done for this. I've done for this week. I don't think there's really much else to add. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it you guys have a great couple weeks and i'll see you in a couple weeks and yeah keep on rocking